The first reading is from the Bhagavad Gita, the jewel in the crown of Hindu scripture, composed over 2,000 years ago. They live in wisdom who see themselves in all and all in them, who have renounced every selfish desire and sense craving, tormenting the heart. Aspirants abstain from sense pleasures, but they still crave for them. These cravings all disappear when they see the Lord of love. When you keep thinking about sense objects, attachment comes. Attachment breeds desire, the lust of possession that burns to anger. Anger clouds the judgment. You can no longer learn from past mistakes. Lost is the power to choose between what is wise and what is unwise, and your life is utter waste. But when you move amidst the world of sense, free from attachment and aversion alike, there comes the peace in which all sorrows end, and you live in the wisdom of your divine essence. The second reading is by the late Polish and American poet and Nobel laureate Czesław Miłosz, titled A Confession. My Lord, I loved strawberry jam and the dark sweetness of a woman's body. Also, well-chilled vodka, herring in olive oil, scents of cinnamon, of cloves. So what kind of prophet am I? Why should the spirit have visited such a man? Many others were justly called and trustworthy. Who would have trusted me? For they saw how I empty glasses, throw myself on food, and glance greedily at the waitress's neck. Flawed and aware of it. Desiring greatness, able to recognize greatness wherever it is, and yet not quite, only in part, clairvoyant. I knew what was left for smaller men like me, a feast of brief hopes, a rally of the proud. Literature. What is desire? A sin? An addiction? A pleasure, a folly, an evolutionary necessity, keeping each of us and our species alive, an engine driving the global economy. How could we live without it? How do we keep it from killing us? Seeking answers to these timeless questions, naturally, I turned to Google which has long since replaced Holy Scripture as the primary research tool of Unitarian Universalist clergy. Googling desire, that's so much fun to say, I have to say it again. Googling desire yields 
294 million hits. After the usual definitions and one acronym, Database of State Incentives for Renewables and Efficiency, DESIRE, comes DESIRE Resorts, quote, situated seductively in the, in the Riviera Maya, paradise-like destinations in Mexico for couples and adults only, 21 plus, featuring the most secluded ambiences, they entice you to enjoy vacation experiences of a lifetime that will totally renew your passion for each other. The radiant clothing optional atmosphere promotes a feeling of total liberation while allowing you to enjoy a deluxe all-inclusive vacation that comprises adult-oriented entertainment, sensual theme nights, provocative shows, and more. Lest anyone get too excited, soon after Desire Resorts appeared ManagingDesire.org, offering, quote, HIV prevention strategies for the 21st century, unquote, and inviting visitors to, quote, confess your safer sex sins, unquote. A few Valentine's days ago, WBUR was offering a box of Nirvana chocolates as a fundraising premium. Talk about oxymoron. In Buddhism, Nirvana is the extinction of all desire, not fulfillment, extinction. And they've named a chocolate after it. Desire comes with the human condition. It's not an extra, it's standard equipment. But the world's wisdom traditions have not been kind to desire. There's all that coveting forbidden by the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Most biblical scholars agree that the word ass here refers to the four-legged member of the equine family. But of course, the principle pertains more generally. Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And in those days, adultery was a capital crime. Hinduism, as we heard from the Bhagavad Gita, exhorts us to renounce every selfish desire and sense craving tormenting the heart. The second noble truth of Buddhism asserts that suffering arises from tana which means grasping, clinging, or wanting anything. We have been worn. Yet who among us is immune from desire? Who has escaped its seductions and betrayals? Guts and desire. That's the voice of Larry Stone, my high school football coach, in the fall of 1969. Guts and desire wins football games, gentlemen. Guts and desire we had. What we lacked was size, speed, and talent 
After opening the season with two victories, we lost five straight, finishing at two and five, and learning the limits of guts and desire and the blessings of humility. At 180 pounds, one of the team's larger players, I played tackle. In one game, I lined up opposite a real tackle. Six foot three, 250 pounds, maybe more. He entertained himself all afternoon, driving me back 10 yards, then letting me go. And I was the team captain. Years ago, on hot summer days, here in Cambridge, I used to buy a double cone from any one of the numerous ice cream shops in town. I would eat it as I walked and arrive at another ice cream shop just in time to order another, repeating this process several times. Late at night, I might raid a store 24 for donuts, pies, snack cakes. Have you noticed that Hostess is back in the shops? and then stew in my guilty sweat, waiting for the sugar to hit my bloodstream. I've had crushes so intense, I cried out alone in my car, day and night in my mind's eye I beheld the face of my beloved and not just her face. I burned with desire to hold, to touch, to know and be known, to consume and be consumed, until the sweetness of obsession turned to ashes on my tongue. I remain addicted to books, which I consume as if searching for the Holy Grail, Perhaps the next one, perhaps the next one will reveal the secret of life. I buy them online, used or deeply discounted, thinking myself clever in finding them so cheap. I devour their descriptions on Amazon.com, breathlessly anticipate their delivery to my door. Many I read, some I finish, some change my life. Some linger unread on my bookshelf, passed over for fresher finds and donated eventually to charity book sales. There are two great tragedies in life, George Bernard Shaw observed. One is not to get your heart's desire. The other is to get it. We have only three possible responses to desire, it seems to me. Abstinence, moderation, and addiction. We know the costs of addiction. Broken relationships, scarred families, failed careers. But desire has subtler costs. Desire for what we lack can spoil our appreciation of what we have. As Buddhist psychologist Tara Brach points out, our gnawing everyday wants prevent us from relaxing and becoming aware of our deeper 
yearnings. We perpetually lean into the next moment, hoping it will offer the satisfaction that the present moment does not. I read that in one of my books. Desire knocks us off our center. It leads us away from ourselves. The Latin root of the word desire is desidus, which means away from a star. In the ancient world, stars were what guided us. A fixed point in the universe, our true north. We are not supposed to reach the star by which we navigate. It is not of this earth. Desire is not a sin. It's not one more excuse to feel bad about ourselves. But it does challenge us to inquire where our attention, energy, time, and money are best invested. Feeling guilty about desire is a waste of time. But frequently, so is indulging it. Desire is not our enemy, but it's an untrustworthy friend. One moment it's charming us with its sophistication, firing us with its passion, lifting us out of our doldrums. The next, it's seizing us by the throat and dragging us into a dark alley. Clearly, moderation is prudent. The Buddha's middle path between asceticism and hedonism. Julia Child was enraptured by food but lived long and well by eating small portions. But moderation is difficult. Oscar Wilde was speaking for many of us when he said, I can resist anything but temptation. Desire feeds on itself. Shakespeare said Cleopatra makes hungry where most she satisfies, as if this were rare praise, but in fact this quality is as common as booze, pornography, and shopping. So abstinence can make sense. A clergy friend of mine who used to struggle with binge eating now consumes no sweets ever. It works for her. I don't know if I could do it. Whence comes that drive in us? Muhammad Iqbal demands. Whence comes that storm? Maybe all our petty desires are just poor surrogates for one great desire. To be whole and holy, loved and loving at home in ourselves and in the divine. From the urgent way lovers want each other to the seeker's search for truth, wrote the Sufi poet Rumi, all moving is from the mover. Every pull draws us to the ocean. The prophet Isaiah marveled, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Listen so that you may live. 
Jesus told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. You have made us for yourself, Augustine prayed, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. If we were truly whole, dwelling always in our inherent goodness, our sacred essence, what would we desire? To love and to serve, I believe. To love and to serve. We would be grateful for pleasure, but not enslaved to it. Pain would afflict us physically, but not spiritually. Even death cannot terrify when we know it's an imposter. Why wait for death to remember what's important in life? If our petty desires are unsatisfying substitutes for one great desire, why not eliminate the middleman? Why not kick this clutter out of the way and go for the real thing? Gary Zukov writes, you stand between the two worlds of your lesser self and your full self. Your lesser self is tempting and powerful because it is not as responsible and not as loving and not as disciplined. So it calls you. This other part of you is whole and more responsible and more caring and more empowered, but it demands of you the way of the enlightened spirit, conscious life. Conscious life. When you choose to challenge your addiction, Zukov writes, to move consciously toward wholeness, you choose to allow your soul to move through you. You choose to allow divinity to shape your world. No matter how powerful the pull of desire, we have the power of choice. We don't choose the desire that wells up in us, but we choose our response to it. Buddhists speak of watering the seeds stored in our consciousness. We choose whether to water the seeds of greed, lust, and envy, or the seeds of love, generosity, and justice. It's one thing to glance greedily at the waitress's neck, another to subscribe to an internet porn service. It's one thing to enjoy a new dress or jacket, another to shop till I drop in an endless and futile quest to dull my pain instead of facing it. Tara Brock suggests that when, we, that when caught in desire, we ask ourselves, what does my heart long for? What does my heart long for? In every addiction, said Eknat Ishwaran, 
In every addiction, energy is trapped. In all our daily partialities for food that is less than nourishing, say, or reading and entertainment that are far less than elevating, power is hidden. And a full-scale compulsion contains so much power that it can be thought of as a trail leading right into the unconscious. When we free ourselves from compulsion, we release this energy, power enough to remake our lives, heal our relationships, even to change the world. Mahatma Gandhi proved that. Asked by a Western reporter for the secret of life in three words, Gandhi instantly responded, renounce and enjoy. Renounce and enjoy. When we break free from the world's enchantments, we liberate ourselves to enjoy its fruits and to share them with all. Gandhi's desires, of course, ran to nobler aspirations like the nonviolent liberation of his people from colonial occupation. But even here, Gandhi heeded the wisdom of the Bhagavad Gita. Action alone is within your control. It never extends to the fruits. Be not attached to the fruits of action, nor be attached to inaction. In other words, exert your best effort in pursuit of a worthy desire, then let go, surrendering the rest to God. So let us seek the middle path. Let's enjoy in gratitude the beauty and pleasure of being alive. Let's dedicate ourselves to worthy desires and not beat ourselves up over our unworthy desires. But let's not waste the precious time each of us is given pursuing things that distract and degrade us. Every desire, every desire is a prayer. Let's be careful what we pray for. Amen. And blessed be.